This is Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams, America's top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, both of them. One from California, one from Massachusetts. You can only guess what will happen next. Coast to Coast is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network, and this is Coast to Coast. I'm J. Craig Williams from Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrogi from Massachusetts. I write a blog called Law Sites and another blog called Media Law, Craig. And Bob, you also have taken on a new responsibility that you ought to mention today. That's right. I'm also now contributing to Legal Blog Watch uh, on Law.com on a daily basis. And I write a blog called May It Please the Court, which you can find at mayitpleasethecourt.com. Today, we are going to explore in depth another very important issue on this edition of Coast to Coast. Does the gender gap in law firms still exist in 2006? Is it easier for women to remove these barriers today? Uh, There's some startling facts. According to the National Association of Law Placement, only about 17% of partners at major law firms nationwide were women in 2005. That's only a slight improvement over 1995 when about 13% of partners were female. Well, Bob, our guests today are going to help us explore those issues and the struggles that women face in the legal workplace and what's being done to close that gap. And uh, to help us talk about that in our studio today is Lauren Stiller-Reclean. Lauren is a senior partner at the Massachusetts law firm Bowditch and Dewey and its real estate and environmental law group. Uh, more to the point, she is author of the hot off the presses book, Ending the Gauntlet, Removing Barriers to Women's Success in the Law. Lauren is a former president of the Boston Bar Association, where she created a task force on work-family balance, and uh, she's a member of the 12-member ABA Commission on Women in the Profession. Thank you. Welcome to the program, Thank you. Lauren. Well, Bob, also with us today is Professor Ronald Chester from the New England School of Law. Professor Chester is also a book author, and he wrote the award-winning book, Unequal Access, Women, Lawyers, in Changing America, which traces the early history of the New England School of Law. And I think you mentioned it used to be called by a different name. Uh, Portia School of Law, yeah. Well, Ron, Professor Chester is also a faculty expert on women in the law and has written many articles on the topic. Welcome, Ronald. I'm glad to be here. And finally, we have Mary Musette-Stewart. Mary is president of the Central Florida Association of Women Lawyers, a professional organization devoted to actively promoting the advancement of women in the legal profession. Welcome to the show, uh, Mary Musette-Stewart. Thank you. Lauren, first things first, uh, does a gender gap still exist? What are the facts? Well, the the facts are, uh, yes, the gender gap ex- exists, and the facts are um, somewhat in what uh, Bob said opening with respect to the continuing low number uh, of women partners. And uh, this is uh, long, it had long been assumed that there would be this pipeline, and uh, when the pipeline was filled, the partner problem would be resolved. And the uh, stark fact is that uh, by the turn of the year, this century, the year 2000, uh, there were about half as many women that were partners as would have been expected based on their entry into the profession. Um, so unfortunately, the gender gap remains alive and well, particularly as we become more senior in the profession. Mary, let me ask you, what are what are some of the obstacles that women face uh, in advancing in the profession? Well, one of the problems that I know about has to do with the size of 
uh, of firms in general. Um, some of the smaller law firms do not have any sort of partnership track whatsoever, and they pretty much have uh, younger female attorneys who come in and they, you know, put in long hours and do their best, but um, they get, become disenchanted and end up not staying at that particular firm. And if you are hopping around between firms and you don't have a good book of business, um, it's not going to do much to uh, facilitate your ability to become a partner. That's one of the things that we've talked about in Seafall um, that goes on quite a bit still today, unfortunately, especially in some of the smaller cities, uh, with Orlando, of course, being considered technically a, a small city, if you will. Well, Ron, what's the... Uh what can be done to remove these roadblocks? Well, I think that, uh, first of all, let me, if I could, just uh, talk a little, uh, put a little uh, historical perspective on this. Uh, when I wrote the book you mentioned, the issue was had really been uh, access to the legal profession, um, you know, itself. And, of course, that, as you've noted, and uh, my colleagues here have noted, has has changed. That is, the pipeline is, is now full and certainly uh, hiring is, is being done uh, of women lawyers. Now, the, the problems we're now facing, of course, uh, sometimes called uh, the glass ceiling, uh, sometimes called, uh, well, a, a subset of that is probably the, the maternal wall. I've seen that term. Uh, we're seeing uh, problems at the upper echelons of the firm. So basically the restriction point has just moved backward. Now, in terms of how all of this uh, uh, gets gets fixed, if you will, and I think the figures we started out with uh, are pretty uh, pretty startling. Um, there, I think we first probably ought to talk about uh, a number of the things that have happened to law firms uh, in general. One of the things that comes to my mind, and of course. Um, my two colleagues here are are in practice, but the uh, the new emphasis, particularly in the large firms, on billables, billable hours, billable hours, billable hours, does not seem to me to have been a good thing for advancing women uh, into the partnership ranks. I would agree with that. Yeah, I I, I just wanted. To, I've been I've been reading Lauren's book, and I and I have to say it's it's a really an impressive work. But uh, this a, a quote jumped out at me in which she said, uh, "Lauren, you're you're sitting here with me. You said one of the biggest one of the single biggest challenges facing the profession today is its economic dependence on an inefficient method of payment for services rendered that is not in the best interest of either the lawyer or the client. And it, it seems that the billable hour is exactly what you're talking about there. Absolutely. Um, you know, this started out as a book about women in the law, and I think to really have tried to write about it as effectively as I could, it became a book about the business of law. Um, and uh, we we like to talk about the fact that we want to be run as a business. You hear that all the time now in law firm management circles, but the reality is we're running a business on a model, an institutional model that's 200 years old. So that's really the essence of part of our problem. We've, we've built enormous profits around billable hours and high hourly rates, um, but it's not a very efficient or effective uh, uh, or stable model for the future. Well, Mary, you mentioned that it was important that uh, in order to make a partner that you have a book of business even if you transfer from firm to firm. 
Is this a pressure that exists from outside the community, that it's difficult for women lawyers to get business in the business community? Um, I think it depends really on the type of law that they practice and what type of connections they have. Um, I mean, if I were to want to increase my book of business, I'm, I'm no longer in private practice. I'm actually um, working for a foundation. But if I wanted to improve my book of business, I would have a real good opportunity to do so by being as involved um, as I am with the young lawyers and with CFAL and other organizations. But my, my counterparts who do not um, have those types of networks that they can get uh, different referrals from, they're really at a disadvantage because if you have, unfortunately, if a person has an option of a female attorney or a male attorney, it seems to me that nine times out of ten, uh, hopefully it's not that high, but it very well might be, they're going to go with the male attorney because they just feel, for some reason, uh, a little more confident in their ability when the female attorney might actually be much more qualified and might have, you know, much better record as an attorney, but uh, it is something that does seem to still exist. The the New York Times had a a pretty extensive piece on this issue uh, over the weekend, and in some of the uh, discussion about this uh, among among bloggers out there, uh, uh, Carol and Elephant in particular raised the question of, of whether this is uh, primarily a, a big law issue uh, and not so much an issue with solo and smaller firms, obviously not solo, but smaller firms. Uh, Lauren, I wonder what your perspective is on that. Do you see this as a big law firm problem? Well, certainly the issue of uh the, the the New York Times article was focusing on large firms, but um, large firms are pretty critical institutions in our society, so um, it, it's important that it be fixed at that level because they set a tone and they're um, – they're really the pace setters of the profession generally. Um, and so you could argue that the problem is even worse in smaller firms because of um, the lack of any infrastructure to address some of these issues around um, maternity and paternity leave policies and uh, reduced hours policies. Um, so um, I think you see... Uh, an intensity um, of pace that exacerbates the problem at the big firm levels, but I think when you get down to the nitty-gritty of women's success, um, by and large, it's it's profession-wide. That's exactly. Well, Ron, let's take a look at the academic world. You're uh, a professor. How does it work in, in law schools? Are there a, a significant number of, or equal number of women professors, and are they paid the same? Well, I think that uh, the influx of women in law teaching has been uh, quite marked. Uh, over the, I've been teaching now for 30 years, and uh, uh, I don't actually know, I don't even think about it anymore, frankly, because there are a number of men and a number of women working around me, uh, and it, it, you know, it appears that I, I, if I guess, I guess we're not quite up to half, uh, half and half yet, but uh, that that will change, I'm sure, quickly. Uh, so I think law law teaching may have been uh, looked on as an alternative by some of the big firm people, particularly that we've been talking about, who uh, felt that more control over their time without all this billable hours business. Uh, this was available in law teaching. So uh, women have flocked to law teaching, uh, I guess, in a, <laughs> in a word. 
And Mary, you said you worked for a foundation, uh, which is alternative uh, occupation to the, the normal billable practice of law. Have you seen a flight of women out of the, the practice? Quite a bit, unfortunately. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that Lauren touched on, which is very accurate, is the fact that a lot of the smaller firms, they, have, they just have no policy. Um, the larger firms, they're going to more likely have a policy on what to do if uh, a female attorney wants to take a maternity leave and how that's going to affect her ability to become a partner and you know her ability to become a shareholder. Well, the small firms just don't have that at all. And uh, unless they have a, a female partner, um, and a lot of them in this area, they do not. The small firms do not have female partners for the most part. Well, Mary, um, I, I run a so, small firm. Where would I go to get that kind of a policy? Because I'm not sure that I have one. We don't have any women lawyers in our firm, but w- if you don't, where do you find these policies? You mean as in where would you, who would you ask as far uh, as how to get a policy? Is that right. what you're asking me? Mm-hmm. I, well, it's interesting. I was actually asked that question myself by a female uh, friend of mine who's an attorney who thought that we had a policy because I had been at this firm for such a long period of time, but I haven't had children yet. So I said, well, actually, we have no policy, so it's one of those things that if I decide I'm going to continue working here, we're going to have to come up with one before I get pregnant. <laughs> but um, I ended up taking this job, so I never had to address that. But I think it's the type of thing, really, that you should address at the hiring stage. I mean, when you're being hired, that's the time to talk about everything. There are great. About that. I'm sorry. There are great models, um, though, out there um, to assist if someone. It, it, I think people shouldn't feel that they're starting from scratch, really, because um, there are a lot of bar associations that have done model policies. The Project for Attorney Retention in Washington, D.C. is a great resource for uh, sample policies and various models. So, uh, you know, there are so many in organizations that have looked at this issue over the last several years that the, the, y- y- there's no lack of help if, uh, if people want to seek it out. Something I, I thought was interesting about your book, Lauren, is that one of the uh, one of the areas you touch on is the role, or, or I think you refer to it as the power of clients in helping to drive diversity, or at least push for diversity in law firms. And I know that uh, we've we've talked before on this show to people from the Minority Corporate Council Association that have worked to drive diversity and, and help set some of the kinds of policies that we're talking about. But but what do you see as as the role of clients in this? Well, client. The, the the firms could change overnight if uh, clients were um, united in their effort to really compel change. The it is the client that holds the purse strings for the law firms, and when clients say, "I want a diverse team," "I want to know what you're doing." to um, bring in lawyers of color. I want to know what you're doing to help women succeed. I want to see women and lawyers of color on my team. Firms pay attention to that. The difference and the problem is, um, the challenge is that there are some clients that do put some real teeth in it when they ask the question, and there are others that ask the question but don't follow up, and then there is an even larger number that don't even yet ask the question. But there's no, you know, I have no doubt in my mind that the one thing that could dramatically change the profession overnight would be the role of the client in getting engaged. And and I think the reason why clients should get engaged is that many of them themselves have been in these law firms and have left to go in-house, and uh, 
um, you know, we would hope that they would uh, reach behind to the people they left behind to try to improve the workplace there. Well, can I jump in here? Uh, I have a a female uh, colleague here at the uh, law school who was uh, in a large firm, and she stressed to me that once she became a rainmaker in the firm, and she became a very substantial rainmaker herself, that is, the clients came to her, uh, big clients, that, of course, the policies had to change. So she thinks it has a lot to do with... uh, you know, getting control of those purse strings and the uh, the policies in the firm will have to change. Exactly, because but that's part of what I mean about the power of the client because yep. the client um, can go to women to give their business. Can um, they can use that ability to create the rainmakers in the right. law firm? Right. Yet in your book, Lauren, you you quote a. Woman, a senior partner, a woman senior partner in a New York firm, who says that women have a particularly difficult time marketing themselves and, and being rainmakers. Do you see that as a problem? Women aren't comfortable in the role, uh, by and large. It is uh, it's a combination, um, often of lack of mentoring, lack of access to the informal networks in the law firm, by which other pe- men are included, um, uh, lack of opportunities to participate in uh, a lot of the pitches to clients. Uh, lack of time because of family-related issues, um, but but I do think that that is an issue that is coachable and um, with some with training and coaching and more focus on the inherent reluctance that is a barrier that could absolutely be overcome. Mary, let's take a look at the flex policies that may exist in law firms or don't exist in law firms to accommodate the issues that Lauren mentioned earlier about paternity and maternity leave and those types of things. How acceptable are those types of policies in law firms from your experience? Well, I mean, if they have a policy in place, that's one thing. But if they do not have a policy in place, again, I think it depends on, number one, when you broach the subject, and number two, um, is it a young associate who doesn't have much to offer yet other than just their time, or is it somebody who has been at a firm for a long time and does have a big book of business that they can say, either you offer this to me or else I'm going to take my business elsewhere. Um, and and unfortunately, sometimes that's what has to happen. But I have seen the opposite um, where, you know, a person has a, <clears throat> a fairly good-sized uh, business, but they are a valued employee for many reasons because women do bring um, something a little bit different to the table sometimes. And they actually let her work part-time and still made her a partner. So I think, you know, it just depends on who you're dealing with and at what stage you are in your career. Lauren, how does it look toward, uh, from the standpoint of juries and trying cases, uh, do women have an advantage over men in terms of their pitch to a jury in a particular case, or are there particular kinds of cases that are more beneficial for women to try than men to try? Is it? Um, I, you know, it's, I, my answer to that would be that um, 
it's it's so individual and and it's so determined by a person's talent and connection and ability i do think women bring certain uh characteristics and qualities as as a general rule um that are important into into their practice into the workplace um and, and uh i think that they are excellent lawyers as men can be and and are excellent lawyers i think the issue um i i think what we have to focus on is the fact that we assume excellence we assume quality by the time a person graduates law school and enters the workplace and is working hard and the question then becomes why is it that there are so many more women statistically leaving and why are so many you know why are there so few women reaching the top in in their profession and really looking at what are the institutional barriers that are preventing that because i do think that um men and women alike enter into this workplace uh well trained well skilled but yet something is or a series of barriers are greatly um impacting women more than men well we've talked a lot about that something and when we come back we're going to have some solutions to the gender gap some great advice for every attorney when coast to coast continues in just a minute we'll be right back Coast to Coast is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. This is Bob Ambrogi. And I'm Craig Williams. We continue our discussion on breaking down the gender gap in the law. Our guests today are lawyer and author Lauren Stiller-Rickling, Professor Ronald Chester from the New England School of Law, and attorney Mary Musette Stewart, president of the Central Florida Association of Women Lawyers, which I think she pronounces CFLAW. 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 Yes. Lauren, let's kind of finish up with that topic that you raised right before the break, um, and it raises an issue about, uh, in my mind, about the lack of mentoring that exists and the lack of examples for women uh, once they reach 
a partnership in a law firm. Is there a lonely at the top feeling that women have once they do reach uh, the top in a partnership track in a law firm? Absolutely. That's actually the genesis of my book um, is the, the sense of loneliness and isolation that comes from not only being a, a woman senior partner, um, but when we're trying to do a great job being a parent as well. Um, the uh, I, I spent a lot of time in the book um, uh, writing about the issues about women at the top and how are women uh, how do women help each other and how um, women really aren't even trained to do that necessarily. Men have endless examples of senior partners reaching out to mentor men and help their careers along, um, which is an experience that not many women have had. And um, one of the things I focus on is sort of the genesis of that lonely at the top issue for women and the importance of women learning how to reach down and reach behind and reach out to recognize that we can be uh, collaborators, we can be competitive collaborators, but it's critical that we help each other's careers along. Ron, let me ask you, the New England School of Law was uh, was originally an all-women's law school. What what can law schools be doing today uh, to, to help better prepare women uh, to advance through the profession? Well, I think that's, uh, that's an excellent question. Uh, what right now, at least at this school, of course, all traces of uh, the history are pretty much erased. I think we're about 55% uh, women. Uh, there are very few courses that that um, you know directly uh, deal with what happens when you get out. We do have uh, one or two about setting up your own practice, et cetera. But it seems to me that probably uh, here, as in most law schools, uh, all that's going to have to take place uh, through mentoring by faculty uh, of students and. Certainly there are male faculty who mentor uh, women students, and uh, increasingly, as I've said, we now have uh, women students who can uh, deal with the special problems uh, that only they would have internalized through their practice. So I think it's a mentoring thing. I'd also love to add to that because um, one of the things I found in researching the book is the um, that there's a real need in law schools around the country to help students understand the workplace that they will be entering. Um, there is a, 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 you know, a hunger among law students, and I'm finding this as I speak to law schools uh, just, you know, in the couple of weeks since this book has been published, but I have had several experiences. Um, the, la- the, the students are coming out totally unprepared for what this workplace is like and what the business needs of the practice of law are and what the expectations are around that will be for them to be successful lawyers. And I think that law schools do need to take a hard look at their curriculum and think about what they could be doing differently to help students along the way. Well, let's take Lauren's thought one step further and see if we can close up with some final thoughts. Mary, I know that we have a number of male listeners to this program, so here's your chance to give some advice to us. What can men do to help women uh, in the legal profession close this gender gap? Well, I think I like the mentoring idea, actually. Um, I don't see anything wrong with the male partners or males who are higher up on the food chain, if you will, in the law firms, reaching out to some of the female attorneys and taking them under their wings and encouraging them to uh, share with their supervisors um, their different accomplishments because one of the things that was touched on today is women are not 
trained or comfortable um, selling themselves. And, you know, unfortunately, um, unless you have someone who points out that you're not doing that, number one, and number two, how you can go about doing that, um, I don't think that that's going to change on its own. So um, I really, I like the mentoring idea. I think that's a great idea. Ron, how about you? Any uh, final thoughts on um, Well, I think that one thing that the firms uh, can do is to have uh, clear written policies uh, that deal with childbearing and uh, child-rearing and part-time kinds of tracks to partnerships, but they have to write these things out. Uh, One of the problems with the part-time kind of uh, opportunities have been offered by law, uh, large law firms is that there's a certain stigma attached to them or there are certain unwritten rules. So the more the rules are written uh, and uh, guarant- you know, guaranteed to women if they do have a child or you know, spend a little time out of the firm or spend a little time uh, part-time, I think this is a, a really important area to work on. Well, and Lauren, we're going to give you an opportunity to uh, have the last word, but we're going to use it in your book, uh, Ending the Gauntlet, Removing Barriers to Women's Success in the Law, which uh, gives all kinds of advice. And if reader or listeners want to uh, find it, where can they find it? Uh, well, it's available on Amazon.com by looking under Ending the Gauntlet or Lauren Stilla Ricklein. Um, and it's also available through the publisher, Thompson Legal Works. And if you'd like to give your contact information, Lauren, about how uh, our listeners can get in touch with you if they have some legal issues or would like to seek your advice. Thank you. Certainly. It's Lauren Ricklein. My um, email address is lricklein, L-R-I-K-L-E-E-N, at Bowditch, B-O-W-D-I-T-C-H dot com. My number is 508-416-2411. And Mary? Uh, my <clears throat> email address is mstewart at drphillips, D-R-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S dot org. And Ron? It would be rchester at faculty dot nestle dot edu. That's N-E-S-L dot edu. Phone number 617-422-7254. Hear ye, hear ye, now from the legal blogosphere, this week's legal nuggets, insights, and worthy trivia, you be the judge. Well, Bob, here's our opportunity to wrap it up and talk a little bit about what's going on in the blogosphere today. Um, I know, or at least this week, I know that the uh, Legal Blog Watch has touched on this issue. Why don't you talk about that briefly? Well, on Legal Blog Watch, yeah, we've talked about uh, the the New York Times article about Lauren's book, uh, and uh, uh, I've had a post. Uh, Carolyn Elephant uh, had some thoughts uh, herself about uh, about uh, the, the question of whether this is, uh, you know, I, well, I think the way she put it is kind of what else would you expect from some of these big law firms, uh, and that the the issue really is one of, and I think Lauren got at this, the the business structure of the firms uh, is much it is as it is about a gender gap. Well, I noticed uh, one that I wanted to mention is on blog.org, B-L-A-W-G.org, and Bill Gratch put up a post uh, about the breadth and the depth of the legal blogosphere, kind of celebrating the diversity that exists and also the, the scope of coverage that exists on uh, almost a peer review level of people that 
comment on a particular article, link to other posts, which then ends up giving you the entire perspective on it and ends up, I think, in being more informed about the issues. And, of course, listeners to our podcast uh, learning a lot today about uh, women in the law. It's interesting. I, I've used. Um, I think there's not enough use so far of tagging. Uh, I think tagging is is something that could be powerful for helping to tie these conversations together on all these different blogs. But I find more and more I'll go to say the the, the blog search feature on on a search engine like Clusty, which I happen to like a lot, and try and find out what others in what other bloggers are saying about a particular issue or a particular case development, and try and tie that together. And like you say, and like Bill Gratch suggests, you really get uh, a, a pretty well-rounded uh, uh, view on, on the news by looking at what's, um, what, uh, what a cross-section of bloggers are saying about an issue. Well, with that, Bob, we're going to wrap it up today. We'd like to thank our guests for being with us. Uh, we had uh, lawyer and author Lauren Stiller-Reclean, Professor Ronald Chester from the Wingland School of Law, and attorney Mary Musette Stewart from the Central Florida Association of Women Lawyers. Thanks to our guests. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Coast to Coast has been sponsored by Law.com. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.